Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being here. A little later in the show, we are going to talk with the state's attorney who is working the recount case for Attorney General Bill Schuette, uh, who has opposed the recount that was called by Green Party nominee Jill Stein. He's been right in the thick of it since the beginning. He will explain the state's position and uh, maybe forecast what we think is uh, is ahead for us in that uh, story. Uh, we'll also talk with Matt Cullen, who's the president and CEO of Rock Ventures, about the Brownfield bill in Lansing, uh, a tax incentive package that has been stalled because the Speaker of the House, Kevin Cotter, says he doesn't believe in those kinds of tax incentives. Uh, a lot of anger <clears throat> being directed at the Speaker. Over his position, we'll ask Matt Cullen what he thinks may be able to happen on that uh, after the first of the year or whether they can break the logjam before we all uh, celebrate the holidays. But up front, I want to welcome Susan Demas, who is the publisher of Inside Michigan Politics, back to Detroit today to talk about the week's news. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Good. Uh, Lansing, you live in Lansing and work in Lansing. Uh, talk about what the atmosphere is like up there right now. It's a little crazy uh, between the recount, uh, lame duck. Uh, there's a lot going on. You you are not celebrating the, the holidays quite yet up there, right? <laughs> no. Um, you know, we've come to get – we we're pretty used to – lame duck sessions in odd in even years yeah. especially presidential years kind of getting out of control and uh, a lot of legislation that was not on people's radar uh, suddenly gets popped and there are a lot of late night sessions and adding to all that is the craziness of this uh, presidential recount which has really revealed some pretty disturbing um facts about the state of our elections here in michigan yeah. although uh the legislature is not touching any of that. Yeah. Uh, let's start right there with the recount and and what we seem to be learning about it. I, th- I think everyone expected that uh, the recount would affirm the results or come close to affirming the results that we saw on November 8th. I don't think anyone, even Jill Stein, uh, necessarily believed that, that there were going to be uh, massive swings in the vote totals. But, but as you point out, as They've been trying to recount these ballots in lots of places in the state. We're learning that the way we count ballots in the first place may not be working the way we think it does. Uh, And certainly preserving those ballots for possible recounts uh, is not happening quite the way that that it should. And it's not just the city of Detroit. I mean, the city of Detroit's gotten a lot of attention for this. There are lots of places in the state where the, the the way we vote, the machines we use to tally those votes, is just not uh, it's not meeting standards that I think make people entirely comfortable. Right here in Ingham County, where the recount was actually uh, completed, and that's where the city of Lansing is. Um, you know, generally, I think our elections are pretty well run, but you do have a lot of clerks who I think. Um, you know, perhaps need some additional training because, you know, we, we've seen where poll books are not matching the results that the machines tabulated. Um, and, and this has taken place across the state. And it's, it's hard to make the case to people that they should feel confident in their elections when you see these problems. Um, not to mention the fact that 
there are a lot of voting machines, not just in the city of Detroit, but in the state that are horribly out of date and they're malfunctioning. And, you know, we certainly could use some improvements there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's the, you know, what do you think are the barriers to that, though? I mean, we don't seem to be able to get past the, the recognition that things are not the way they should be here in Michigan, uh, but to, to, to a place where we say, all right, let's try to fix it. I mean, that, that, it's just not a, it's not a particularly robust conversation here. No. Um, the conversations about uh, the way we run our elections are highly partisan. And, you know, I guess you can make the case that it's been that way for a while. But in the end, it's the voters who are the losers when uh, we can't have discussions about having the correct equipment because, well, maybe that'll give voters in Detroit too much of an electoral advantage instead of just agreeing that it's the right thing to do and we should have well-run elections here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Susan Demas. She's the publisher of Inside Michigan Politics. Uh, we're talking about the week's news, uh, the recount in Lansing, lame duck session uh, in Lansing. We'll talk about uh, school aid diversions in an income tax, which were on the table uh, for a bit uh, this week and now appear to be off. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work what you say into the conversation. Uh, uh, Susan, I want to ask you about uh, uh, the, the lame duck session itself. Uh, as you point out, it, it's you know, it's pretty active in election years. We've seen a bunch of things rear their heads this year and sort of threaten to become law. But I would say that that we've seen more of those things sort of recede into the background this year than we normally do. Uh, and in the end, I, it looks at this point like this will be one of the less active uh, lame duck sessions that we've had. Uh, of course, we have had some some things passed, the voter ID bill, which I want to talk about. Uh, but but talk about how this session so far sort of fits in the in the big context of, of lame ducks. Right. Well, I think the most notorious lame duck that we've had in recent years was 2012. Yeah. And the big headline item was right to work. And there were massive protests and it got national attention. But the Republican majority in the legislature uh, was very active on a number of fronts. There was very restrictive anti-abortion legislation that was passed, additional business tax cuts, um, a citizen voter ID bill, um, lots of items from the conservative agenda um, that were not taken up during an election year. But when you have term-limited legislators who you know, finally feel comfortable casting some very controversial votes, uh, lame duck is a great time to uh, start running those bills. And, you know, I would say 2016 was shaping up to be that sort of a session. Maybe not with something that was such a lightning rod, like right to work. But, you know, when you start going after uh, firefighter and police retirement, I mean, that's one of the third rails of Michigan politics. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us started to think, wow, this, you know, could really be an intense session. Um, as you said, that's kind of receded uh, under a lot of public pressure. 
Um, it seems like the teacher retirement has kind of gone that way as well. Um, we had this huge campaign finance bill that was kind of known as Citizens United on steroids. <laughs> um, that also seems to have receded. Yeah. But, you know, we do have this voter ID rest- restriction out there. Um, we do have this new iteration of wolf hunting that reared its head. So I think we, we will see some interesting legislation that will make it to Governor Snyder's desk, but maybe not the uh, legislation that was hitting on all all cylinders yeah. um, on the conservative scale. Yeah. Uh, that voter ID bill, of course, has got a lot of people worried and interesting to me is it's not the the sort of it's not just the the groups who normally protest about this liberal groups who who are concerned about civil rights uh, concerned uh, about uh, elderly uh, citizens and and their access not only to ID but to clerks offices uh, which is which is one of the wrinkles of this of this law is that you know if you were to for instance forget to bring your ID to the polls, uh, your vote would uh, would would only be counted as a provisional ballot, and then you'd have to go and show your ID at the clerk's office uh, for a lot of elderly people, especially outside of cities. That's a, a pretty onerous burden. Um, but but here again, we we seem to be talking about ways of making voting more difficult uh, of of sort of you know walking right up to that line of disenfranchising people rather than talking about why don't we fix voting to be easier more accessible uh, uh, you know uh, more more respected by the process by you know upgrading technology and things like that we're, we're, we're always on the other side of that equation here in Michigan and and when you look at other states, uh, and the, the things that they're doing, we just we just are not keeping pace. It's really that's just really frustrating to me. Yeah, more than half of states have no reason absentee voting. It's something that's supported by Secretary of State Ruth Johnson, who's a Republican, and her two Republican predecessors supported it as well. But you know, it's always considered a pipe dream to go down that route in Michigan, um, and. I think that a lot of the debate seems to focus on, oh, you're trying to make it easier for people in cities like Detroit. And, you know, there's no doubt that there's an elderly population in Detroit and there's a population that does not have a government ID in Detroit. But these onerous bills have an effect on rural voters that I don't think is explored very often. And Representative Ed McBroom, who's from the UP, started to talk about that a little bit this time. you know, and this is something I'm familiar with because uh, I spent a decade in Iowa, which is a heavily rural state, um, even still today, mm-hmm. and, and has some of the most liberal voting, uh, you know, laws in the country because voting is an onerous process when you live miles and miles away from your clerk's office. Exactly. It's much easier to vote by absentee. Uh, it's it's hard if you forget your voter ID to ask people, oh, go ahead and drive back, you know, 25 miles a week later to prove your vote. You, nobody's perfect. And, you know, I think that we are in search of a problem that doesn't exist because 
I have not seen any provable voter fraud in Michigan this election. The Washington Post says that there are only four cases in the entire country and 135 million ballots were cast right. for president. Right. So um, certainly I think we should be looking in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's go to the phones. And again, if you want to join us, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, uh, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today will work your conver- your comments into the conversation. Uh, first up today, let's go to Chuck in Franklin. Chuck. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Hi, Susan. Hey, how are you? Uh- uh, good. Uh, as uh, Jake probably indicated to you, I was calling about the uh, Supreme Court recusals, which are really interesting. But before I get to that, um, I just want to remind both you and Susan that in Michigan, we do have no reason absentee voting for everyone over 60. So this business about elderly people having you know terrible problems, they can all get absentee ballots. Uh, great point, Chuck. Uh, 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 you're absolutely right about that. I think the difference is that other states have uh, no reason absentee balloting for everybody, and and uh, the the idea being that you know lots of people can't get to the polls or can't get to the polls easily. But uh, you, but you're right that we do have it for uh, people over sixty. Um, but go ahead with your question. Well, uh, I just had a, a straight up question for both of you. I, I was really surprised this morning to hear the news. Jake told me it actually broke last night about. Uh, Justice Young and Justice Larson recusing themselves from the um, recount case appeal. Uh When Mark Brewer started that thing, I thought, what a frivolous um, claim that was. Um, But lo and behold now, they've they've both recused themselves. I I was shocked by that. I'm I'm not sure what kind of precedent that sets. Uh, Not a good one, I don't think. But but maybe they've both actually been um, vetted uh, for... um, federal judicial positions, a court of appeals maybe, if not the Supreme Court, if they've actually been vetted and have been in contact with the, with the, uh, the Trump transition office, it may, then maybe that's actually a different deal. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I have to be honest, uh, Chuck, uh, I, I was a little surprised, too, that they recused themselves uh, from this. I, even, if, even if they have been vetted uh, for the Trump transition, to, by the Trump transition team, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that rises to the level, in my mind, of recusal from a case like this. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, but, but recusal is such a, I mean, it's such a personal thing, and I don't, I actually don't think it should be that way. I mean, I think there should be clearer standards in the law uh, about when judges and justices ought to have to you know step aside in a case uh, but the way we do it is we really leave it up to them uh, to decide when they they feel like uh, they have a conflict that would prevent them from uh, adjudicating fairly and so something about this case or the circumstances uh, for Justice Larson and, and Chief Justice Young um, uh, some uh, somehow say to them that uh, they can't uh, they can't they can't sit on these uh, on, on this case. Susan, what what do you think is uh, going on there? Well, it's fairly rare in Michigan politics that we see anybody recuse themselves. On and you know as as we know, um, you know there really aren't very. Uh, it, it's it's completely voluntary for legislators, for instance, to do so, um, even if they have you know. A business interest in some bill. Right. So, um, 
you know, I think that the justices were erring on the side of caution um, and seeing how this would appear in public. And, um, you know, uh, perhaps it's easier to do so when you still have a Republican majority on the court. I was going to say, this doesn't change change the balance. It doesn't change the, 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 the political lineup of the court by having those two justices out. No, but nonetheless, um, you know, I appreciate where they were coming from because, you know, certainly people are aware that both justices are on the president-elect's shortlist for the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chuck, as always, thanks uh, for listening and thanks for calling in uh, with the question and the uh, and the info. Uh, let's go to, Char- to Charlene in Detroit. Hi, thank hey. you. Yep. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to talk about the fact that there, um, as I understand it, there are about 75,000 ballots or more on which no vote has been recorded for president. That's in the state of Michigan. Yeah. And with just the 10,000 vote difference, I don't think the media has talked about that very much and has talked about why that would have been important for the recount. And secondly, the little tip of the iceberg that we've seen with the little bit of work that was done before it was turned off, the ballots that were cast in Michigan don't seem to all have made it to being counted, particularly, as I understood it, some of the absentee ballots. So even if you could, and I'm over 60, even if you could get a ballot over 60, you sure want to know that it got counted. <laughs> right. And we don't know that in Michigan, and we have no plan. It'd be nice if we're not going to be in some part of an official recount to know that a board, a commission, a study is being done to deal with what the heck happens when we vote here and how are our voted votes counted? Yeah. I sure would rather see that than a voter ID law come out of this legislature. <laughs> yeah, no, that uh, great point, uh, and Charlene. And particularly when the court, uh, the federal court, as I understand it, said there is no fraud proven, so the vote recount can't go forward. And if the federal court has said that on this one hand, one might expect the federal court to say the same thing when one hopes the voter ID law would be challenged. Yeah. Yeah. Charlene, thanks very much uh, for the call and the, and the comments. Uh, Susan Demas, talk some about these, these under votes or presumed under votes in uh, the presidential uh, contest. Charlene says we didn't talk that much about it and and maybe we didn't talk enough about it. I did hear a fair amount of, uh, of criticism or questioning about, uh, you know why that was so. That's a, it was a larger number this year than it was in 2012, uh, and and of course we had a lot of people uh, who expressed uh, consternation about the choice for president. People didn't like either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. A lot of people said they were going to go in the to the booth and not vote for president. But but what do we know about um, what the recount revealed in that in that area? I mean, it, it never really got started in 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 earnest enough maybe to show us uh, exactly what happened but but did we hear anything about those undercounts and whether they they still held up 
that's one of the things that we could address with a full recount. With a full recount, and, sure. And, you know, we almost certainly will never know that question. Um, you know, looking at voting patterns across the state, I don't think it's terribly unusual that in Michigan we had so many people skip the top of the ballot. Was it as many as was officially recorded? Um, I don't know that because we did not um, do a full recount. Um, but I don't think that um, it raises flags that something untoward was done um, necessarily um, because, as you said, there were a number of people who did not like their choices and, you know, were perfectly content to cast their ballot um, for down ticket but did not want to make that choice. Um, you know, when you have a close election of 10,000 votes, I, I, you know, separating the winner and the loser, um, you know, that's a question that can be answered. And, you know, while I still have seen no evidence of fraud, I've seen, as I think most people, a lot of red flags in how our, you know, election process functions in Michigan, where you don't have numbers matching, where you had some evidence of ballot box tampering, probably just due to incompetence, but you did have that. You had voting machines break. And, um it's hard for people to be confident in this process. Um, yeah. And I understand this is a highly partisan issue because when you have a close vote, yes, potentially the result could flip, although I don't think very many of us think it will. I just think that people would probably feel better about the process if they knew exactly what happened and, you know, had a statewide recount. But, you know, it's totally understandable why the Donald Trump campaign and uh, Republicans don't want that, yeah. even though, you know, he won in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and you'd need to flip the results there to really change the election, which, once again, nobody expects to happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Susan Demas, publisher of Inside Michigan Politics. As always, thanks for being with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Okay. Uh, up next, uh, we're going to talk about the beginning and the end of the recount this week with John Bursch, who is the state's attorney working on behalf of the attorney general, Bill Schuette. And stay with us on the phones. Uh, lots of people still talking about the recount. 313-577-1019. We'll get to you. Stay with us on Detroit Today. <laughs> 